each and every day we get upon this earth is soaked with meaning and purpose. The challenge is we get so used to the routine, so lulled by the mundane, our days start to blend together and fade with familiarity. If we're not careful, we can look back and realize we've wasted what we've been given. But if we could begin to understand the brevity of this life, the eternal implications of how we live now, we can start to live our lives with deeper purpose and urgency. Each day becomes a possibility for purpose. Each moment becomes an opportunity for meaning. The book of James calls us to live out this brief moment we've been given upon this earth with wisdom, with urgency, with significance. It beckons you, don't waste your life. continue on today in is a series through the book of James. It is filled with all kinds of wisdom so that we are not a people who waste our lives. We do not want to waste our lives in idleness and futility. We want to live with purpose and meaning. And so today what we're going to be talking about, we're going to be talking about the power of life transforming words. Now I first learned of the power of words when I was in fourth grade. Um, the reason I learned the power is because um, I said one of the bad ones. <laughs> and uh, I didn't say, a, it didn't start with A, B, C, D, E. It didn't start with G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P. Not even Q, R, S, T, U, or V. Um, little mullet wearing 85 pound fourth grade Jason dropped the F bomb. Wow, geez, easy. Feeling some judgment here. Thought this was a safe place for a confession. Man, you guys would be terrible Catholic priests. Holy smokes. And uh, Julie Lau had the same reaction. She was a fourth grader, and she heard it. And Julie Lau thought the teacher needed to hear what little 85-pound Jason said. And uh, the fourth-grade teacher thought it was appropriate to write me a referral and send me to the office. Now, that day, uh, that was my first time going to the office. That was my first uh, referral. And um, I deeply longed that day that it would be the principal I would have to meet with. But it wasn't the principal I had to meet with. It was the vice principal. No, normally, you'd think you'd want to meet with the vice principal. But here's the problem. Um, I met with the vice principal that day. And the issue is the vice principal was my Sunday school teacher. Yeah. Yeah, if there's any counselors out there, I'd love to speak with you afterwards, I'm still. <laughs> and uh, I sat down with Sammy D'Amico, and he looked across from me, and he just says, Jason, there's only one word that comes to mind, disappointed. And I just bawled like a little mullet-haired baby. I just <laughs> cried. I was so sad. And... Um, and then I found out my parents have to know about this. <laughs> and uh, I went home planning my funeral. Because <laughs> I just said the worst word I could possibly understand in my mind. And I remember sitting down with my parents in my living room, and I'm like shaking. I'm so nervous. And my parents had such an interesting approach to that moment. They said, listen, just so we're clear, we, pref we don't want you to say that. But there's worse things. 
that you could say. I'm like, there's worse words? Like, <laughs> my little fourth through grade mind was blown. And they said, yeah. They said, yeah, you could say words that are untrue and break our trust. You could say words that are hurtful to other people and break them down. And I remember that being a formative moment in my life because I think my parents were 100% accurate. Um, they wanted me to understand the power of words, that words have the power of life and death. And as we approach James chapter three, James is taking a similar approach and he wants us to understand the power that our words have, that we, there's weight to them. So if you have a Bible, I'd love for you to read with me uh, along James 3, starting in verse 1. It says, Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. How, how James starts this section is he's bringing awareness to the fact that we are responsible for our words. Every word that we say, every decision we make, it has weight to it, and especially those who teach in a church. There, there is weight to presenting the word of God and to teaching the word of God. I had a guy uh, argue with me one time that he should be preaching in our church, and I remember looking at him, and I'm like, bro, you don't even believe in Jesus. He goes, yeah, you guys need more perspectives. I'm like, you, I, don't think you, I don't think you get what we're doing, right? There, we have to give an account for what is preached and what is said. And listen, my commitment my, to you is to do my best to always preach the word of God, to not hold back, to not cater to the world, to not cater to critics, but to say, what are the words of Jesus and what does that look like? And, and my request of you is that you would continually pray for me and pray for my family and pray for the other preachers and leaders of this church because there is a weight to presenting the gospel and there is a weight to teaching the word of God. But this passage also highlights the fact that all of us, we're all responsible for our words, how we influence others, how we affect their day, how they think about themselves, how we shape and form their identity, how they understand and grasp the gospel. In fact, Jesus, he says this even more explicitly in Matthew 12. He says, everyone will have to give an account on that day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. This is actually fascinating to me. We would expect Jesus to con condemn profane and vile uses of the tongue, but careless words, like really, Jesus, that's what you wanna bring up? And see, Jesus understands that careless words are words that we use without any concern of their impact on others. They can be harmful, they can be hurtful, they can lead people astray, they can be words that make us hypocrites. And we too, too quickly assume that the sins of our tongue are minor sins and sins that, will, that God's just gonna overlook, but Jesus is fully aware of the devastating nature of our words. And, and so James continues on, he says, verse three, when we put bits into the mouths of horses and make them, to make them obey, we can turn the whole animal or take ships as an example. 
Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a word, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. First, can we just observe what a brilliant writer James is? Man, these pictures, you could just see them. You picture these ships being moved by a small rudder. You picture this giant forest as we live in the Pacific Northwest and we see the devastation every August and September that, that a small spark can have on an entire community. And James is like, that's the power of the tongue over your life. And he's drawing this idea that we need to understand that our words have power. Your words are one of the most powerful and influential tools you have in your life. And so I actually want to look at a theology of words just through the realm of Scripture as we walk through, because biblically, we have to understand words, they have the power to create and to shape and to make, and because we are created in God's image, we are God's image bearers, we have been given power too in our words. They, they carry immeasurable significance. You think about the creation of the universe, it was created by what? With a word. God spoke. The, wor the world, the universe, light, darkness into existence. God, he forms his creation's identities through words, through naming of them. When Satan slithers onto the scene as a crafty ser serpent, what's his first action? It's to use his words to get Adam and Eve to question the words of God. Did God really say Jesus, he healed and cast out demons with a word. Not only was he the word take on flesh and blood, but he actually used words for power. When there's a storm, the disciples, they wake up Jesus, they're like, don't you care? And how does he calm this storm? With his words. It's just quiet. Be still. Rulers have risen and fallen by their words. God, God is worshiped throughout generation after generation with our words, whether that be songs like we just sang. I mean, yeah, I can't even explain to you the joy it is for me every Sunday when I'm getting ready to come up and preach because I'm standing behind that, that little corner back there, right? And so the speakers are all going this way, so I can't hear what's coming out of the speakers. You know what I hear? I hear your voices of worship bouncing off this wall into that corner, and it just moves me. I love to hear my church worship and glorify God. That's the power of words. He's God, God is glorified through our worship. He's glorified through our preaching. He is glorified through our confession. And Jesus, it tells us in Scripture that he continually sustains and upholds the universe by his words. I'm going to read. I don't have it on the screen, but I'm going to read it. Hebrews 1. One, three, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. What sustains all life is the words of Jesus. And so there is power to words, and we have to understand this. And, and let's look at this played out in a few different ways and, and some wisdom from other places in Scripture. First, words have the power to encourage others. 
Proverbs 12, 25 says this, anxiety weighs down the heart, but a kind word cheers it up. And I'll never forget watching this interview with Mariah Carey, okay? At the time that she did this interview, she was at the top of her game. No one in history had sold more albums than her other than Elvis Presley and the Beatles. And in an interview, she said she can hear a thousand praises and one criticism. And the criticism will completely drown out the voices of those thousands of others. And we all, we felt that, have we not? We have to understand there is power in our words and we have a choice in how we are using them. Are we using our words to tear people down or are we using them to build people up? I remember a season in my life when I was 15 years old and there was three men in a course of three months that offered me a level of encouragement that 20 years later still rings in my heart. Men who spoke into my identity. I was a, I mean, you know, that, that fourth grade moment sent me on a trajectory that just spiraled out of control, I'll let you know. And God started to get a hold of my heart when I was 15. And these men, just through small interactions, sometimes sitting down, sometimes it was passing in a lobby, would just speak to me. One of them was a guy named Brian Campbell. And I remember walking past him in the lobby, walking into the youth group, and he just looked at me. He goes, hey, man, are you gonna, are you gonna lead a small group this year? Our, our youth group, we did, we did student-led small groups. And I looked around to figure out who he was talking to. Because <laughs> I'm like, you're not talking to me, bro. Like, I'm that kid that everybody hates. And I'm like, seriously, Brian? And he goes, yeah, God's doing something in you, man. And I think you need to press into that. That was like my first taste of ministry, was walking in those words of encouragement and following through on that. Man, you have no idea how powerful your words can speak into somebody's life. Uh, it, words have the power to shape identities. It was Proverbs 18:2. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. You have the power to shape how someone sees themselves or their calling just by your words to let them know, no, you actually belong here. You have, do you have any idea how intimidating it is for somebody who doesn't go to church to walk into a building like this? Everybody makes the same joke, like, as soon as I walk through those doors, lightning's gonna strike, you know, right? Sorry if you made that joke this morning. I'm sure you didn't sound that way. <laughs> but like, what if you met somebody new to church and you just let them know, hey, just so you know, you belong here. You are welcome here. I wanna be your friend. God loves you. That's the power to shape identity. From an outcast to an insider. From somebody unseen to somebody who belongs. You ever uh, watch the documentary on Mr. Rogers? Uh, it's incredible. Over and over and over. You know what he says to kids? I like you just the way you are. In a world that is constantly telling us to shape up or ship out, that is constantly telling us, no, you need to be in this image, you need to look like that person, if you only you were like her or talked like him, all these things, and, and over and over and over, Fred Rogers would see a kid and just look at him and say, you know what, I like you just the way you are. And to watch 
the way that solidified these kids' identity, understanding not only who they are, but whose they are, understanding that they are created in God's image and the power of that. And we, we're going to find ourselves with opportunity after opportunity to, to shape somebody's identity. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. I can't tell you how many um, pastors I know have a story of a moment where somebody used somebody seemingly random or a small conversation to affirm their call in the ministry. I, I, I remember I, had, uh, I was just wrapping up doing youth ministry. My wife was about to give birth to Dax, and we were leaving uh, our previous church. And, you know, it's always a hard thing leaving a church. Um, this weird thing happens. Nobody's ever happy that you're, like, leaving, right? If they are happy, that's worse. Um, but... <laughs> Uh, and it just was like this like kind of painful season for us and, and I remember and I'm getting my last bit of stuff loading in my car from my office and I see this guy Jesse Calvert he's mowing a lawn uh, he, he just became a deacon of the church and he's mowing the front lawn and he kind of waves me over and so I go over and I'm like oh he's gonna give me a piece of his mind right and uh, waves me over and he shuts off the lawnmower, and uh, he looks at me, and he goes, hey, I, I just feel like God's telling me to tell you something before you go. I'm like, all right, here we go. And he goes, I really hope you plant a church. And I was like, why would you say that? He's like, because I think that's what God wants for your life. And he fired up the lawnmower and kept driving, right? <laughs> spraying me with, <laughs> with grass. That was a moment for me. I have, I have other friends who, I, I, my brother-in-law was wrestling through going into ministry. He was in a Starbucks praying, Lord, I don't, I want to do this, but I don't, I don't know if I'm good enough. I don't know if I'm called. And a woman comes up to him and says, hey, excuse me, I'm, I'm sorry, this is so awkward and uncomfortable. I don't want to do this, but like, I feel like God has told me that I have to say this to you. He's like, okay. She goes, um, you are wanted and called. And then she walked off. <laughs> right? Another friend of mine who pastors up in uh, Wenatchee, Washington, he's, he was driving from Washington, California, where he was leaving, wrestling over this call to go take over pastoring a church up in Washington. And he's driving down the I-5, I-5 corridor, pulls over. He, he gets, he's praying, Lord, do I take this? Do, do I step into ministry or do I walk away from this call? What, what, what do I do? What do I do, Lord? And, and he feels the Lord say, hey, you're hungry. Just pull over get something to eat, and we'll continue this conversation. So he pulls over and pulls up to a Chipotle, and a guy walks out of a Chipotle, knocks on his window, and says, hey, God told me to do two things. <laughs> He's like, what? He's like, you're called to ministry, and here's a burrito. <laughs> All I got was grass clippings, right? And this guy gets a burrito, right? But listen to me. You have the power to shape someone's identity and calling to speak life, to speak affirmation into what God, is, what, what God is doing, or you have the power to destroy and tear them down. May we be people that see the power in our words. You have the power to bring, uh, words have the power to bring healing. This is what Psalm, Proverbs 16 says, gracious words are a honeycomb, sweet 
to the soul and healing to the bones. You have no idea the pain, the hurt, the heartache, the wounds that are on the other side of that conversation you're having. And you have an opportunity in that moment to have words that are like a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. Ann Voskamp, she put it like this. She says, only speak words that make souls stronger. For once they are spoken, they may be forgiven, but may not be forgotten. There's a weight and a power to what we say. And you have no idea how one word of encouragement, one conversation, one expression of love might change somebody's life. See, because in all of this, words, they have the power to keep someone going. You know, when, when COVID hit, look, it was a unique season for all of us. It was challenging. It was confusing. Um, but in my world of leading a church, a group of people, it was um, one of the most unique challenges I have ever faced. Uh, I remember uh, we immediately made the shift, okay, we're gonna, we're gonna like, preach online. And the first week it was like, oh, this is like exciting and we're all together, right? And that was fun for about a week, right? And then after that, um, I remember setting up, I would set up the camera in my living room, and I would preach to this camera. And for some reason, I was really close, and I always put my hands in the camera. So people were constantly like, hey, giant hands, right? And, uh, <laughs> and what you have to understand about me is I, like, love people, right? Like, I love Sundays. I love meeting people. I love interacting. Like, this is the, this moment right here is, like, the joy of preaching, like, being with all of you. And the way I described that season of preaching to a camera, because it took all the same preparation. It's like somebody who loves to bake because they love sitting and enjoying a meal with somebody. And there's a season where you have to spend all the same amount of time baking the cake, and then you take a picture of it, and then you throw it in the garbage. That's what it felt like, right? It just was this like disconnected season of where are we going? We were supposed to be opening this building, all these things. And, and we were doing our best to kind of lead through this season, but. At the end of April, early May, I went out to my mailbox and I saw this postcard. And there was just one of them that first day. And uh, on the front, it was this kind of unique design. And it just said, those elders who lead well deserve double honor, especially those who toil in the word and in teaching, 1 Timothy 5.17. And I flipped it over and it was from a a couple in the church, just a word of encouragement. I was like, that was really nice. I don't know where they got this cool design, but that was really nice. And then over the coming days and the coming weeks, every single day when I went out to the mailbox, there was multiple postcards filled with words of encouragement, filled with the Lord has you in this place. We have your back. We love you. Keep going. This is, this, is, this is what God has called. I mean, like, I can't even fan them all out, right? Day after day after day. Do you know how shaping that is for somebody who's, who's questioning everything about their calling? Do you know how encouraging that is? Listen, 
my three biggest joys in life are parenting my kids, being a husband to Jesse, and pastoring this church. And one of the reasons that it's such a massive joy is because of the word, the way that this church uses words to speak life into me, to encourage me, to, to build me up. Your words are powerful. We, our words can, they have the power to encourage, to shape identities, to bring healing, and to keep someone going in a challenging season. This is what James is arguing. Verse seven, he continues, he says, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison, right? It, James is a little fired up here. He's like, he's seen the damage that can happen. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings we have, who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. What he's saying is that our words, there are, they are an overflow of what's happening in our heart. They are evidence of whether or not Jesus is actually moving in our lives and transforming us. A, a couple months ago, uh, we went, a group of us went to a conference. I, I shared a story of it last week, but we go to this conference, and uh, Kristen Friend had got to the, um, she had gotten to Atlanta before the rest of us, and we were all flying from Portland. She was, she was leaving Dallas, so she got there earlier. We were leaving Portland. So we weren't getting, we weren't landing till one in the morning. And we had an Airbnb all booked, and so she picked up the van that was gonna drive us around, went to the Airbnb to check things out, and it was a disaster. Okay, she said she walked around and it was disgusting. There was bugs and cockroaches and hair and like it was just like a mess. She was like, "Oh, we are not staying here, right?" Okay, um, but because we're on the like in the air, right? She's like, "Okay, by the time they land, I need to have this figured out and solved." So she called. We booked it through Airbnb. So she calls Airbnb to resolve it, lets them know what's happening. They're like, "No problem. We can get that situated. We can get that sorted. We're so sorry that happened." Um, but the booking is through Jason Clark and your uh, your Kristen friend, and so um, I need you to put him on the line to let him know that he can confirm all this, and then we can get everything changed and taken care of. Well, I'm on a plane, right? So. She goes, okay, hang on, and, and, you know, pauses it, mutes it real quick, and is like, you know, one of the, you know that moment where, like, what do I do here, right? And so she unmutes it and goes, yeah, this is Jason. <laughs> and the gal on the other line goes, ma'am, that's not him. And so Kristen probably just melts into her chair and hangs up, right? Oh, you're welcome, Kristen. <clears throat> but I feel like there are so many times when God is looking down on us and expecting to see 
the image of a son bear forth, and he sees the way we use our words, and he's like, that's not him. This is what James is saying. He's saying if, if your life has been transformed by Jesus, then how can you praise God and curse his creation from the same mouth? How can you glorify God and gossip about others, your brothers and sisters in Christ with the same lips? How can you sing worship and spread slander with the same tongue? And, and what James is saying, he says, that's not you. And what is pouring out of your mouth is evidence of what's going on in your heart. Our, our words are an overflow. And so we have to ask ourselves, what's pouring out? Is it truth and gentleness or is it harshness and gossip? And the reason it's important to ask that is because that's how we can start to get at the root of the issue. Brene Brown, brilliant author, writer, she puts it like this. She says, after studying vulnerability, shame, and authenticity for the past decade, here's what I've learned. A deep sense of love and belonging is an irreducible need of all people. We are biologically cognitively, physically, and spiritually wired to love, to be loved, and to belong. When those needs are not met, we don't function as we were meant to. We break, we fall apart, we numb, we ache, and we hurt others. You know why? We pour forth hurtful words of anger and pain and shame. We shame and respond unlovingly to others because deep down, we feel that our need to be loved and belong has not been met. We shame because we feel ashamed. We hurt because we are hurting. We accuse and tear others down. We nurse, enforce, and broadcast our grudges instead of forgiving as God has forgiven us because it's showing that we too are dealing with our unresolved hurt and shame. And I think Brene Brown is saying the same thing that James is saying here, that words are an overflow. And what we need what we need is actually healing. And we can read a passage like this and start to feel conviction over our words and realize, man, what we say, it's causing hurt and pain in people's lives, especially those who are closest to us and that we love the most. And we think, okay, I just need to try a little harder. <laughs> I just need to be, have a tighter rein on my tongue. But the point of this section of the passage as James is like, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, heck, even sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. Yet, no human being can tame the tongue. What James is saying here, and he's pointing out, is the solution is not trying harder to tame the tongue. That's, that's not what we need to do. The solution is to heal the heart. And this is why we need the gospel. 
And this is why we have to come back to Jesus over and over, because we're not looking for adapted behavior modification. We need the wounded healer to heal us. And this is why we need the voice of Jesus in our lives. Brendan Manning put it like this, only reckless confidence and a source greater than ourselves can empower us to forgive the wounds inflicted by others. This is why we need the gospel. See, that same confidence can also empower us to stop inflicting wounds and to start speaking life, speaking encouragement. When we have been healed ourselves, we can be a voice of healing. When we've experienced grace, we can offer grace. When we've experienced unconditional love, we can respond with love. The only way that we can be trees that bear the fruit of Jesus, the only way that we can be a spring that brings forth that fresh water that James is referring to as if the voice of Jesus is soaking our lives in his love and his grace on a regular basis. This is why we read the Bible. It's not so we can win theological debates. It's not so that we know the rules for life. It's because there's a God who created us and loves us and it's only in him that we can find our identity. And it's only in him that we can experience his love, and his healing. And so here, here's what I want to do. Here's how we're going to wrap up. I just want to read some scripture over you. And it'll be on the screen, and so maybe you want to see it, but maybe you want to close your eyes and just listen to it. But over and over and over, this is your identity in Christ. And then I'm going to close in prayer, and the worship team's going to come up, and Stacy's going to lead us in a song. And we're not going to sing, we're going to listen. And we're going to have these lyrics wash over us. See, this is our identity in Christ. This is the healing that we need. This is, you know, Ephesians, it tells us that I am alive in Christ. In Colossians, it says that I am complete in him. In Romans, I am free from the law of sin and death. In Isaiah, I am far from oppression and fear does not come near me. John reminds us that I am born of God and the evil one does not touch me. Ephesians and 1 Peter remind us that I am holy in Christ. Corinthians tells us that I have the mind of Christ. Philippians tells us that I have the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. John tells us that the greater one is living in me. Mark lets us know that we have received the power of the Holy Spirit. Philippians tells us that we have no lack because God supplies and that we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. Peter reminds us that we are his child. Ephesians tells us that we are his workmanship. Romans tells us that in Jesus I am more than a conqueror through him who loves me. Matthew tells us that I am the light of the world. Ephesians tells us that I am forgiven of my sin. Colossians tells us that I am delivered from the power of darkness. And Peter says that we are healed. And we are reminded that we are greatly loved by God. And it is not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Jesus, would this be our identity? Would this not be a, oh, I I need to be better with my words. I need to try harder passage. Would this be a, I need some healing in my heart. I need some more gospel in my mind. I need the truth of God on my lips so that I would pour forth your fresh water.
Lord, you tell us to be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry. Would we be listeners today? Would we listen to the truth of your word? Would we listen to the power of your gospel? Would we listen to the identity that you have spoken over us? And would we receive your grace, repenting of our brokenness, repenting of our sin, and turning to you? And would we just have you wash over us? May we be a city on a hill. May we be the light of the earth. We pray this in the nature of your son, Jesus' name.